0: Good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn tonight
1: in the Scriptures of Truth to the Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together, whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls, and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Amen. May God bless His Word to your hearts tonight. In verse 6 of this psalm, David exhorts the people of God to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Some with a view of future prophecy, advise us to take this as it is, and thus we are to pray for the physical prosperity of Jerusalem in Israel. A belief of a future earthly kingdom of Christ centered in Jerusalem with a rebuilt temple provokes such praying. Some of you may hold such a view. And as a denomination, we we seek to, uh, to respect the variety of understanding regarding the future and prophecy. I think for ourselves, though, rather than looking to the future in this psalm, I think we need to look at this psalm in the past. We ought to consider it as a psalm of history and then seek how to apply it. I say that because the title makes it clear this is a psalm, a song of David. And thus, David is giving witness to his own experience. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And it is a very fundamental consideration of Bible interpretation that you first interpret the portion as to what it means in its original setting. Only after you do that do you then begin to extrapolate its meanings to future events, whether it be the church or whether it be some future kingdom, if you hold that particular view. So this, as I say, is a psalm of David, likely taken and absorbed into these pilgrim songs of degrees at a later time. And so say these pilgrim songs were more than likely sang by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. Of course, this therefore is a very fitting psalm to be included in such a, a mini songbook. And this psalter within a psalter, these references to Jerusalem, of course, are, are helpful and they are pertinent for the pilgrims as they make their way up to Jerusalem. We are explicitly told in the psalm as to why David prays for Jerusalem. In verse 9 he says, Because of the house of the Lord our God I will seek thy good. David is seeking the good of Jerusalem in the place of prayer. You ought to note that uh, carefully. Verse number six is the exhortation to pray. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then verse nine or seven through nine is David himself praying that prayer. He says, peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. Verse nine, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. He's praying. And just in passing, that is how we seek good. We we seek good in the place of prayer by bringing our petitions before the Lord in the attitude of prayer. So in other words, or in in order to understand this psalm, we've got to give some consideration to the identity here of the house of the Lord our God. If the benefits uh, that are being prayed for Jerusalem are tied up with the house of the Lord our God, well, well, what is David referring to? Well, clearly, he's not referring to the temple. The temple's not yet built. The temple will come later in Solomon's days. Later, pilgrims would go to the temple singing this psalm, but originally, as David offers the psalm, the temple is not yet in view. The house of God here likely is a reference to David's tabernacle. Again, in David's day, Moses' tabernacle was in Gibeon. Turn back to, to 1 Chronicles, First Chronicles 21. You have a reference here to David having received the threshing for of Ornan, the Jebusite, verse 28, he sacrificed there. And there's this little incident of, of history. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burnt offering were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. So this time, the tabernacle built under Moses' direction, that tabernacle is at Gibeon. But then you see 2 Samuel chapter 6, again, a reference again to a tabernacle, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Again, the whole chapter deals with the issue of of the ark. Verse number 17, it says this, And they brought in the ark of the Lord, and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And so if we understand all this together, uh, the tabernacle of Moses is in Gibeon, but here there's a tabernacle that David has erected for the purpose of restoring the ark of the Lord, the ark of the covenant, back into or bringing it into Jerusalem. Clearly, David's heart is for the worship of God in Jerusalem. That is going in God's purpose is to be the place for the worship of God. And so the house of God is the place of worship. And I say likely it's referring to the, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, the place that David has established for the worship of God. David's burden, the burden that David has is that Jerusalem be preserved from Conflict so that the worship of God can continue. For God's public worship to continue required the safety and the stability of Jerusalem because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Jerusalem is the place where God comes and meets with his people in public worship. No Jerusalem, no sacrifice, no sacrifice, no worship, all of those things, they, they come together in David's thinking. Thus, his burden for prayer here is a burden for the public worship of God. He rejoices in the security of Jerusalem as a place where the tribes can go up to worship God. Verse number 3, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. That's a reference to its security. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. He's rejoicing in its security. Because when it's secure, the tribes can go up and they can give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to weary you uh, with this sort of technical interpretation of a psalm with regards to history, but it is very, very important. Because in this new covenant age, the worship of God is no longer confined to Jerusalem. That's exactly what Christ says in John chapter 4. You look in John chapter 4. Let me just read to you the words of John 4. John 4, 21, the Lord says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. The worship of God is, is no longer confined in that public sense to Jerusalem in Israel. The church of Christ is the environment for worship. David's praying for Jerusalem, the environment for the worship of God. The church of Christ is the environment for worship. We are all priests, and we offer spiritual sacrifices. And so it doesn't surprise us that the language of Jerusalem is used for the church. Paul speaks of the heavenly Jerusalem in Hebrews chapter 12. Revelation 21, of course, refers to to John's vision of Jerusalem coming from Jerusalem above. It says there in in Revelation 21, verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, come down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the identity of Jerusalem is very clear here. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 9, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The angel says, I'm going to show you the bride. And what does he see? He sees Jerusalem. So Jerusalem and the church of Christ, they are clearly, intimately related so that we understand that the church of Christ now is the environment for the public worship of God. And so I think we rightly take this psalm as instructive of our duty to pray for the peace of the church, to pray for the peace of the place of public worship, to pray for the peace of the place where the sacrifice of Christ is proclaimed, So, a right burden for worship will lead to fervent praying for the church. It's that sense that I want to indicate for you. It is is David's burden for worship here that leads him to pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. That's what motivates his praying. So, where does this burden come from? Well, let me just indicate three things very quickly that lead to this burden. First of all, there is a personal delight in the worship of God. A personal delight in the worship of God. I was glad when they said unto me. David's response is to the invitation to go to the house of the Lord. And he indicates his gladness as a response to that invitation. Just as a passing note of comment, It is worth taking a second to consider the important role of God's people in the encouragement of the worship of God. Let us go into the house of the Lord. There is a communal encouragement in the worship of God. You have a role to play. By our example, by our words of encouragement, we can encourage others to be about the worship of God. But when our example is tardy and when our example is half-hearted, we do not encourage others to be in the worship of God. We discourage others. Again, just let me encourage you. If you see one of your brothers or sisters lagging and flagging in the spiritual battle and in the worship of God, go alongside gently and encourage them with tender words and say, "Let, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Because the child of God, when they are converted, will respond with a sense of gladness. I was glad when they said unto me. A mark of conversion is a delight in the worship of God. The Pharisees didn't know God, and yet they worshipped. But their worship was not pleasing to God, because it came from the lip only and did not come from the heart. True believers truly worship and delight in that worship. You take Paul's words in in Philippians chapter 3, describing the true believers, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Spiritual, heartfelt worship is a mark of the true people of God. External worship marks the Pharisee. External worship marks the hypocrite. But the true circumcision, the true people of God, are marked by heartfelt spiritual worship as a gladness to that. Now, it may help to make this a more concrete reality by considering what occurred in the worship in God's house. Again, I've explained the complexity of the house of God that's being referred to here in terms of the the tabernacle, but but let's think of this in the tabernacle in in a more general sense. Once a year the high priest entered the Holy of Holies with the blood. Regularly the priests entered the holy place to meet with God at the altar of incense and the table of showbread by the light of the lampstand. But in the court, outside the tabernacle proper, the people gathered. David was not a priest. So his delight was particularly in the events that occur in the outer court. What occurs in this outer court? He he was not permitted to be in the holy place where the ark was. He had to be around the ark, but, but not in the presence of the ark. So what occurs outside? Well, the gospel is observed, isn't it? There you see the gospel. How does God accept sinners, sacrifice, slain as a substitute? People brought before God on the shoulders and on the breastplate of the high priest. The gospel is observed for those who gather in the court. There is the giving of thanks and praise around the house of God. In verse number four, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Psalm 134 gives the exhortation to the servants of God to lift up their hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The priests visibly offered the praise on the people's behalf, but the people themselves in the Psalm 100 are said to come into the presence of God with thanksgiving. Psalm 100 and verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It's a reference to the house of God. There is the giving of thanks and praise. There is the hearing of the word. Look what it says again there in the, in the verse number 4, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of, of Israel, the Word of God. The Word of God was the place, or the, uh, the house of God was the place where the Word of God could be read. Now, you see that in Deuteronomy 31, God comes down and meets with Moses and Aaron at the door of the tabernacle. God would have us to gather together as his people to hear what he would say. And thus, examine, thus, gathering for public worship comes from a desire to hear from the Lord. There is prayer at the house of God. My house shall be a house of prayer for the nations. You have examination here. There are thrones of judgment mentioned in verse number 5. And these are things that happen in the house of God. And for the true believer, they delight in these things. In May of 1992, I hated the house of God. And in September of 1992, I loved the house of God. I have no explanation for that. No matter how quickly a teenager may mature, in a few months' time, you don't go from hatred to love. It's a work of God's grace. And by God's grace, there is a gladness when they say to us, let us go into the house of the Lord. We delight to see the gospel. We delight to give thanks and praise. We delight to hear the word. We delight even to be examined under the authority of the church that our sins would be exposed. We delight to be in the place of prayer. It is vital that we examine ourselves again. You see, carelessness in prayer for the church's peace, carelessness in prayer for the church's safety may arise from personal coldness. If we do not delight in the worship of God, we will not truly care what happens to the church of Christ. It may be ripped asunder. The enemy may come in like a flood, but we don't really care because we don't really care about our worship of God. And thus our personal coldness can lead to a prayerlessness for the well-being of the church of Christ. That connection is here. Now, it may not be our coldness, but it may be our lack of awareness of the link. We've got to remind ourselves that when we delight to worship God in this place, our response must be to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So if you come to God's house on the Lord's Day and you leave with a sense of delight and gladness of being here... Thank the Lord for that, but also be on your knees and pray for God to protect his work. That's the connection here. I was glad. Therefore, he prays for the peace of Jerusalem. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. But it's also the public duty for the worship of God. Look what happens here. So this is a public duty as well as a personal delight. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Verse 2, All our feet shall stand within thy gates. Verse 4 mentions the tribes, the tribes of the Lord. And there is a recognition here of the will of God for His people to meet together for the worship of His name. I want to draw your attention to some helpful insights from a sermon by the Puritan David Clarkson his text is Psalm 87 verse 2 and uh, he says that the text says the lord loveth the gates of zion more than all the dwellings of jacob that's his text and from that text he draws out the doctrine that public worship is to be preferred before private and the reference to the gates of Zion is a reference again to the, to the house of God and the worship of God. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And Clarkson gives twelve reasons as to why public worship is to be prepared before private. I'm not going to give you all 12, of them. I've got six down here to, 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 to leave with you. He says the Lord is more glorified by public than by private worship. God is glorified when we acknowledge him as glorious, and therefore he is more glorious when more people worship him as glorious. He makes the point also that God is specially present when we meet in public worship. When the two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. He makes the point that God manifests himself in public worship. Christ is seen among the candlesticks in the preaching of the word and in the administration of the sacraments. Public worship is more edifying not only do you edify yourself, but you edify others. Again, there's, there's a benefit in the public worship of God. He makes the point that public worship guards us against apostasy. Because in the encouragement of, be, of being among God's people, you are kept from coldness. And that's true experientially. You miss the prayer meeting for a number of weeks, and you'll feel the impact. You, you become unwell for a time, and you miss a, the house of God for a number of weeks, and you will feel the impact. There is a benefit of being in the house of God. You're guarded against apostasy. He also says that public worship more resembles the worship of heaven. The people of God are united around the throne of God in heaven. And so he's making the point that public worship is to be highly valued. And that's what David is saying here that when the people of God, they come together, God highly values that coming together for the worship of God. There is a uniting of the tribes to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Now, we we live in a day when the spiritual temperature of the people of God is is cold, and thus in the pulpit ministrations, there is a tendency to emphasize the private walk with God. That's necessary. In spiritual coldness, there's the need to expose the heart of the hypocrite. And the Lord does that in Matthew chapter 6. He he pulls down the three pillars of Judaism, tithing and prayer and fasting, showing them not only to be uh, matters for public, but particularly to be private matters. He exposes the hearts. And thus, in days of religious declension, there's a tendency for worship to be merely external and merely public for the approval of men. Hence, repeatedly in our sermons, uh, we preach against spiritual private coldness and we exhort the people of God to make sure their hearts are right with God. But such an examining of the private experience should not lead us to the conclusion that public worship is of secondary importance. The child of God should not be happy to simply live their lives of devotion on their own. Yes, the Word of God emphasizes that God can meet with us individually. But God is clear in His Word, Old and New Testament, the importance of the people of God coming together for worship. It is the prayer of the believer in Psalm 34, where his heart is alive for God. He cries, let us exalt His name together. We must pray for the peace of the church of Jesus Christ. We must pray for this church, that God would preserve it, that God would give it peace, that God would keep the enemy out. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, because we have a public duty to worship God together. If this church is pulled asunder, then the public worship of God ceases in this place. Why would you bother to pray for your church? Well, because of your own personal delight in the worship of God, but also because of this important point of the public duty, that we come together to worship God. But the last reason is this. There is a prosperity that is delivered in the worship of God. Verse number 6, They shall prosper that love thee. And then, verse eight: For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be within thee. There is a recognition in the heart of the psalmist that it is for our good to be in the house of God. The Psalm 92 and the verse 13. You could turn there quickly, and with this will close. Again, there's a reference here to the house of the Lord. Psalm 92 in the verse 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Prosperity. By being planted in the house of the Lord and flourishing in the courts of our God. Pray for the peace of the church. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem because God's people will prosper in such times. These are reasons, clear reasons that motivate us to pray even tonight. If there is conflict within and without the church, there is a pulling down of the worship of God. I've had the occasion to be in churches in the midst of trouble and trials they were not happy places to worship God. And I doubt many of the people there could say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. For us to enjoy the blessing of God in public worship, to enjoy that personally and as a community of God's people requires that we pray with urgency and with diligence for the peace of the Church of Christ. I think that's the right way to interpret this psalm. It's the right way to apply it in our own context. And may God give us the grace to store the word in our hearts, to hide it that we would not sin against God And failing to pray for the church that he has placed upon this earth.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the Gospel or the Church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.